everyone. Welcome to Every Great Adventure Begins as a Dream, a podcast where I inspire you to get out there and see the world. I'm Donna, a baby boomer and somewhere in the vicinity of being a senior citizen. I spent nearly 20 years as a professional travel counselor helping thousands of people see the world. Prior to that, I was in the U.S. Navy, ultimately attaining the rank of commander. My first duty station was in Neomachri, Greece. Now that was a great adventure. I was truly living the dream. Although I've traveled a lot, there's still a lot of world out there for me to see. Since I'm not getting any younger, I've got to keep going to see as much as I can before I can't. So let's dream together and plan our next great adventure. For more inspiration, you can follow me on my blog at everygreatadventure.com where you can also see my travel photos. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest as Every Great Adventure. Of course, you can always reach me by email. My address, Donna at everygreatadventure.com. I love Ella Fitzgerald's version of the song April in Paris. It conjures up images of warm sunshine, flowering trees, sidewalk cafes, and lovers in love. Ah, Paris. Back in 1988, my husband Art had this beautiful idea that we should have our own April in Paris. As we're planning our adventures, I always have a preconceived notion of what it will be like. We plan where we'll go and the things we'll do or see at each location. While it's good to have an idea in mind, we have to remember that when we travel, we really control very little of what happens on the trip. There will always be unavoidable glitches. What we do have complete control over is our reactions to the things that happen. You can let it ruin your whole trip or just make the best of it. Art and I planned a 10-day whirlwind driving tour of Europe, beginning and ending in Paris. Now, this was before I started my travel business, and although I had traveled some, I was still not a well-seasoned traveler. We arrived in Paris with the picture of April in Paris in our minds, but it was not to be. It was cold. There was rain. The wind was fierce. There were no blooms on those trees. April in Paris is a nice song, but April of 1988 did not live up to it. Yes, it was a disappointment, but not the end of the world. It wasn't bad, just not what we expected. Our first few days, we were in Paris. We stayed at a Holiday Inn. Now, I chose that because I could call an 800 number here in the States to make our reservation. Remember, this was before the Internet. It was in a great location, though, centrally located and near a metro stop. Our first place to visit was the Eiffel Tower. We just walked right up, got our ticket, and after a short wait in line, we're on the elevator to the top level. At this time, the elevator that went up to the top was clear. I'm guessing some type of plexiglass. The sides, the floor, the top, you could see straight through them all. Yeah, it was a little unnerving at first, but you could just watch the city unfold as you went up higher and higher in the tower. One night, we decided to go out and take some photos of Paris at night. Art still reminds me of running out into the middle of the Champs-Élysées to get my perfect picture of the Arc de Triomphe at night. That same night, we ventured over to Pigalle. We didn't go into any of the shows. I just wanted to walk around and see the lights, particularly the famous Moulin Rouge. It was an interesting place, to say the least. 
I did get my photos, and then we returned to the metro to go back to our hotel. At one of the subway stops, way before the stop where we were to get off, there was an announcement, in French, obviously, and everyone got up and left. Art and I just sat there, not quite sure what was going on. Eventually, a conductor walked into the car and, in broken English, explained that they were working on the subway line that night and we'd have to get off, go up to the street level, and take a bus. So here it was midnight, and we really had no idea where we were or which bus would take us to where we wanted to go. And if we did find the right bus, where would we get off? We'd been using the metro the whole time and didn't even know the bus routes. Somehow, we did figure out which bus to take and at least got close to our hotel. We made it back safely, and that really was all that mattered. Our visit to Notre Dame was a breeze. We just walked right in. If I recall correctly, we toured it on our own. When we got up to the bell tower, there was a French-speaking tour group there. Even though we didn't speak a lick of French, we understood completely what the guide was telling his group. It was the story of Quasimodo. He was patting his back where the hump would have been, swinging his arms down in front of him, and then pantomimed, pulling the bell ropes. It was great fun to watch. I had not made any hotel reservation for our return stay in Paris. After our visit to Notre Dame, we went over to a hotel and took care of that. We picked up a rental car in downtown Paris. I have to say, getting out of Paris was probably the most difficult part of the trip. To get where we wanted to go, we had to enter the roundabout that encircles the Arc de Triomphe. Round and round we went until we could finally figure out which street we needed to exit on and then get over to it. Paris traffic was horrendous. We were glad we didn't have to drive in it for too long. We had our travel guides and maps. We were road warriors ready to take on Europe. First stop? Dijon. Traveling from Paris to Dijon was easy enough, and after negotiating several one-way streets, we managed to make our way to the hotel we were interested in. Now remember, this was before we had GPS and cell phones in our pockets. Rooms were available, and we checked into the hotel and then went out to walk around this beautiful town. Now this was how I imagined a French town would look. There were timber and stucco buildings, and the Cathedral of St. Benenus of Dijon with its beautiful tiled roof. It was simply charming. Then we stumbled upon the Grey Poupon Mustard Store. Of course, we all remember their commercials of the 80s, the fancy cars pulling up to one another and passenger rolling down the window and asking, pardon me, but would you have any Grey Poupon? Well, it just never occurred to me that Dijon mustard originated in Dijon, France. Here we were at this store full of Grey Poupon mustard, every flavor and variety you could imagine. We bought a crock of Grey Poupon, and it lasted us for years. You see, the French version of Grey Poupon had a much stronger kick than what we got in the States. We quickly learned a little went a long way. We had found a restaurant in our guidebook that sounded particularly good. So, while we were in our hotel room, I decided I'd call the restaurant to make dinner reservations for the two of us. Why I thought I could do this, I have no idea. I didn't speak more than a few words of French. Art suggested that I call the front desk and ask them to make the reservation for us. My response? No, I can do this. Okay, this is a good place to take a break and give you a little of my background. I'm a very independent person. It's just the way I was raised. In our family, you did things for yourself. We didn't generally help each other out, 
Not that we were mean to one another. You were just expected to figure things out for yourself. In my mind, asking for help was a sign of defeat. As a result, I'm also a bit stubborn. Unfortunately, even now, I will try and try and try to do things myself. And as a result, I usually wait way too long to ask for help. I'm getting better about it, but back to Dijon. I dialed the phone, got through to the restaurant, and the person who answered did speak a little English. I made a reservation for 2 for 7 p.m., and I hung up the phone feeling very accomplished. We arrived at the restaurant promptly at 7 p.m. and went inside. I proudly announced to the hostess that we had a reservation for 7 p.m. We were seated at a table for two, not too far from the door to the kitchen. Now, the restaurant was empty, but we knew the Europeans typically eat later than us, so we weren't alarmed. As we were the only guests, we were quite pleased with all the attention we were receiving. Our waiter came and we ordered our meal. Now, we knew we must have been incredibly special guests as we noticed many of the staff members peeking out of the kitchen door to have a look at us. As we ate, more people started to come into the restaurant, and eventually the place filled. I'm sorry that now I can't recall what we had to eat, but I do remember the food was wonderful. I can say the restaurant lived up to its review in the guidebook. We finished our meal, paid our bill, and said our merci beaucoup to the staff and headed out the door. I'm not sure why, but after we walked out the door, I turned around, and as I did, I saw a placard on the wall that I had missed on my way in. But there it was, restaurants hours, dinner served from 8 p.m. daily. Now I understood why everyone was peeking out of the kitchen and looking at us. They all wanted to see those silly Americans. I'm not sure why they made a reservation for 7 p.m. or even allowed us in, but they did. At any rate, we had a wonderful meal, incredible service, and felt like VIPs. Well, at least until we left. Our itinerary the next morning had us leaving for Switzerland. On the way over the mountains, we stopped at a chalet for lunch. We were a bit skeptical as the place was packed. Our first thought was, well, it's probably a tourist stop. Of course, they only spoke French, and there were no menus in English, so we resorted to looking at what others were eating and pointing. It kind of turned into an I'll-have-what-she's-having moment. It may have been a tourist stop, but it was amazing food. Neither Art nor I had a clue what we were eating, but it was really good. Dessert came around on a trolley, so we had no problems choosing that. We arrived at our destination, Bern, the capital of Switzerland, in the early afternoon, which left us enough time to visit the clock tower and the famous bear pit, but I don't recall if we saw any bears or not. Our next night was in Freiburg, Germany, in the Black Forest. It was more of a stopover, and we didn't do a lot of sightseeing there. On our way to Luxembourg, we saw a small sign that said American Cemetery. We decided to make a detour to visit it. It was one of the best things we could have done. This location turned out to be part of the Battle of the Bulge, and there was a huge diorama of the battle. The men who were buried here had died in the battle. We couldn't believe we had stumbled upon this cemetery. Art's dad was in the Battle of the Bulge, so it was of particular interest to him. We spent several hours there. It was the first time I had seen a war cemetery. It seemed that the 5,000 crosses went on and on and on. The sheer number was staggering. Just walking through and reading the headstones was a very sobering experience. This is also the final resting place of General George Patton, who led the Third Army in the Battle of the Bulge. 
Art recalled that his father, who was a Jeep driver, had told him of one time driving the general. What we didn't know at the time was that Art's dad was actually captured by the Germans during the Battle of the Bulge. He managed to confuse his captors and delivered them, along with his injured American comrade, to an American base. He received the Bronze Star for his efforts. I'll be honest, this visit to the American cemetery was so moving, I really don't remember seeing anything else in Luxembourg. I can't even recall what we had intended to see or do in Luxembourg, but this little detour turned out to be one of the best parts of our trip. Soon we were back in France at a town called Rouen. This is where Joan of Arc was tried and burned at the stake. I think it may have been at the St. Joan of Arc Church where we learned more about her story. Just an FYI, in 2015, they opened the Joan of Arc History Museum, which you can now visit. Next, we stayed a couple of nights at the iconic Mont Saint-Michel, a rocky tidal island which quickly rises 262 feet. It's called a tidal island as it's completely surrounded by water when the tide comes in. The original construction at the top of the hill, which eventually became the abbey, was begun in 708. It's grown over the years and is comprised of a variety of types of architecture and must be seen for its stunning Gothic church. Trust me, your neck will get tired from looking up, but you can't stop. It's just that beautiful. I really wanted that iconic photo of Mont Saint-Michel at dusk, just after the lights come on. When I was standing on the causeway attempting to take the photo, the wind was so strong I couldn't stand against it. Art had to stand behind me and lean into me to keep me steady enough to take my photos. Of course, this was long before the digital age and I didn't want to waste my film, so I only took a few shots. I got one that was decent enough, but not as sharp as I would have liked. We stayed on the island proper at the base of the hill in the famous La Mer Poulard Hotel. Yes, it's pricey, but it's so worth it. This hotel has been in business since 1888, so we were there on its 100-year anniversary. Their claim to fame is that its proprietress, Annette Poulard, invented the omelette. There are other restaurants on Mont Saint-Michel that will argue that point, but that is the story of La Mer Poulard, and they have stuck to it. The omelettes are whisked full of air and then cooked in a wood-fired oven. As we came down the stairs from our room, which came behind the kitchen, we could hear this tick-tick-tick-tick coming from the kitchen. We peeked around the corner and we could see the cooks whisking the omelets in these huge brass mixing bowls. And these are the fluffiest omelets you will ever see. Even though it's touristy, go to Mont Saint-Michel. The Abbey alone is worth the visit. If you can, stay on the island itself. And of course, I do recommend that you have an omelet. Our last stop before we returned to Paris was in the Champagne region, where I think we toured the Tattinger Vineyards. I do remember it was extremely interesting to see just how Champagne is made. I was also impressed by the size of the wine cellar. If I recall correctly, a trolley comprised of several cars took us through the extensive wine cellar. It gave me a new respect for sparkling wine and Champagne. Finally, we were on our way back to Paris. We arrived and went to return our rental car. It was on a side street off the Avenue of the Grand Army, which runs straight into the Arc de Triomphe. Suffice it to say, a terribly busy road. So we pulled into the side street, and there were all kinds of cars and trucks blocking the road. We managed to get onto the road, but couldn't get very far since the traffic was stopped. So Art eventually got out of the car and walked up to the rental office, which was just a couple of blocks away. 
He told the agent what was going on. The agent said, no problem, just bring him the key. Art said again, the car's in the middle of the road. And the guy just said, bring me the key. So Art came back to the car. We took out all of our luggage and delivered the key to the office. We really felt strange leaving the car there. That was probably our craziest car rental drop-off ever. As I said earlier, we stopped at a hotel and made a reservation prior to departing Paris the week before. I had read about the Hotel St. Mary in either Condé Nast Traveler or Travel and Leisure magazine. It was this little 11-room hotel that was housed inside the old presbytery of St. Mary's Church. When we made our reservation, there was this little old man at the desk. He had one of those big green cloth-covered accounting books. He wrote our name in the book along with the dates we wanted the room and then took our cash deposit and paper clipped it into the book. When we returned for our stay, there was the same little old man. He unclipped the deposit from the page and added it to the other money we gave him. He told us to go up the small circular staircase to our room. He had asked if we wanted help with our bags, and we said yes. We assumed they had a porter to help out. Then this little old man picked up our suitcases and proceeded to walk up the circular staircase. Art was mortified. He tried to stop him and take them himself, but the man just shrugged him off. The room was lovely. In the magazine, there was a picture of one of the rooms with a flying buttress going right through it, creating a sort of canopy over the bed. We weren't in that room, but we were able to see it. It was unique. The location of this hotel is absolutely perfect. It's just a few blocks from the Notre Dame Cathedral, a few blocks from the Pompidou Center, and just a few more blocks to the Louvre. Seriously, it could not have been better located. Now, the moment we had waited for, our visit to the Louvre. It was raining as we walked there. We got more excited as we got closer, as there were no cues to get in. Maybe the rain was in our favor after all. As we continued walking, we realized there was no one there. No one at all. Then we could see the lighted marquee above the entrance. Due to a museum worker's strike, the Louvre was closed. Talk about being bummed out. We had set aside this entire day to spend at the gallery. We were leaving the next morning, so it was our only opportunity. However, we made the best of our time and had a wonderful last day in Paris. Well, fast forward 31 years to our return trip to Paris. I will say our trip in 2019 was a lot easier than that of 1988. So many more people speak English, and I've even learned a little more French. And in a pinch, our cell phones can now perform translations for us. We are so connected now, we can look up the hours and make restaurant reservations online. Getting around town is easy using various apps and Google Maps. On this trip, some of those traveling with us wanted to go up in the Eiffel Tower. Art and I passed as we had seen it before. This was one of the biggest changes. I would recommend you purchase your tickets in advance as the queue is quite long. Those in our group purchased a tour with the head of the line pass, but it still takes quite a bit of time with all the crowds and security measures. I would suggest you set aside probably half a day for your visit. We were disappointed to hear that the glass elevator no longer exists, but absolutely, you must visit the Eiffel Tower and at least go up to the first observation deck. With all the technology and travel apps available, getting around the city on public transportation is much easier today. Even so, on this trip, there was a public transit workers strike. One of the locals suggested we use the G7 app to get a taxi. We used it to pre-book a cab into town so we could join our tour to Normandy. 
That same night after we returned to Paris, I just requested a cab from the app and in about 20 minutes we were on our way back to our Airbnb. Although it was a bit of an inconvenience, we were able to work around the strike relatively easily. Of course, Notre Dame is still closed after the devastating fire of April 2019. Although our visit was only five months after the fire, we were amazed at how much work had already been done. Hopefully, it will one day be fully restored and visitors will once more get to see the interior of this iconic cathedral. As for Hotel St. Mary, it is still in existence today. The name of the hotel has changed. It's now called Hotel Le Presbytere. I'm guessing the little old man is no longer there. It still consists of the 11 rooms, and the ads show that they have free Wi-Fi and coffee makers in the room now. Unfortunately, there is still no elevator, so it's not handicap accessible. If you can, make your reservations online, where it also gets really good reviews. Definitely worth staying there if you're able. Yes, this time we made it to the Louvre. I had done my research online and found that the lines and crowds to see the Mona Lisa are the smallest on the two evenings a week that the museum is open late. So we made our reservations in advance for one of those evenings. It took a while to find Mona Lisa, or should I say the line to see Mona Lisa, but we did eventually get to see her. The line was very long. It took us the better part of an hour in line to finally see her. Before we left, we found the reason the line was so long was because it was the last day she was to be on display for a period of time while construction was going on. At least we got in and were able to see her. 30 plus years later, we have all kinds of technology at our disposal, which makes traveling much easier. So the glitches we encounter in our travel are a little easier to work around. But still, you have to be prepared to go with the flow while traveling. So, no, April in Paris wasn't what we dreamed it would be. There were things we wanted to do that we didn't get to. We had to make decisions without having all of the information we would have liked to have had. We made mistakes, and the weather certainly didn't cooperate. But we also discovered wonderful things we hadn't expected. And despite everything, we had some great experiences and overall an amazing trip. I mean, here it is 30 plus years later, and I'm still talking about it. It's rare that our travel adventures unfold just as we imagine them. Just as in life, if we remain calm, stay flexible, and look for alternatives, we can still create memories that will stay with us forever. I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you did, be sure to share it with a friend. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest as Every Great Adventure. Visit my website at everygreatadventure.com where you can sign up for my blog. Until next week, keep dreaming of your next great adventure.